Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. You know, I think one thing that perhaps um, I've often taken for granted is, is just air, the air that we breathe. Although we do hear quite a bit more about our atmosphere in recent time in that we hear about global warming and how carbon dioxide is uh, increasing in the air and how this will raise the the temperature um, of the earth and cause um, some of the ice caps to melt and sea level to rise and and so forth. Well, um, of course, I guess, you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of feedback systems within um, the, um, on the Earth's ecology there. Unfortunately, of course, we are destroying some of those feedback systems like our forests. And I'm really concerned about the rate at which we're uh, clearing forests. Um, and also, too, I think, you know, pollution in the sea because, you know, there's a lot of algae in the sea and um, all these things contribute to the, the balance. Uh, I mean, life everywhere contributes to the balance. And as we're eliminating life, um, we're going to be causing uh, problems. But I think the other thing is, too, that probably in the past the carbon dioxide content was a lot higher. I know often uh, people talk about the oxygen level being much higher, but I think a higher oxygen level is likely to cause more problems, actually, um, whereas a higher carbon dioxide level, in actual fact, may be slightly uh, better for us in uh, terms of you know, our breathing, our metabolism, and, um, and so forth. And certainly plants like a lot more carbon dioxide a little, just a little bit more. But it's interesting, the composition of the air and the way the air is on the surface of the earth is, is quite fascinating. So the earth, the air close to the earth's surface, of course, is, is heated by light energy from the sun. And after the air is warmed, it becomes less dense and rises upward. And this means that the air near the earth's surface maintains a temperature in which life can exist. So it, it's, it seems that the, the density of air is, is just right to maintain our temperature at our distance from the sun. Now, the movement of warm air from the surface rising upwards, of course, creates air currents, which we know as wind, and they're an important part of um, the Earth's ecosystem as well. For example, they carry away carbon dioxide from areas that overproduce, um, such as in particular our cities at the moment. But of course, uh, and they move oxygen to areas in need of it. Um, and it amazes me how you have these huge urban sprawls and there's hardly any trees and yet we can still run all our motor vehicles that again burning the oxygen they're taking the oxygen combining it with uh, carbon in the fuel and um, producing carbon dioxide um, and plus we're breathing in the oxygen and yet there seems to be enough at, at, uh, it's amazing the reservoir of oxygen that there is there and of course um if um, the atmosphere composition was much different, for example, if it was 17% oxygen instead of 21% oxygen, then too little carbon dioxide or 
the and too little carbon dioxide, etc. So in other words, we just got to change the the composition of the atmosphere just a little bit. The atmospheric pressure would be either higher or lower. And again, significant changes in atmospheric pressure would very much affect life on Earth. I mean, you think about the the air has just the right density for birds to fly and to create lift and for planes and so forth. And all these things fascinate me. It's it's very interesting. We we often you know forget about um, air pressure, but the the air pressure, of course, seventy six millimeters of mercury. You know, it's quite a significant amount of uh, mercury, um, or thirty four feet of water. But it it seems to be just right for for life to balance life. Um, again, if the air was much thinner, many of the millions of meteorites that uh, are now burned up as they reach the Earth would uh, continue and would not get burned up and would continue crashing down um, and causing fires everywhere. So again, it's just the right uh, atmosphere to burn up most meteorites and of course really big objects coming through from outer space are generally sucked up by the massive gravity from Jupiter, Uranus and Neptune. So again the structure of the solar system is such to protect us from these really big ones. Um, and then of course oxygen protects us, the air protects us from our little one. You know, even um, when we think about just in our soil too. I was reading some statistics that um, an estimated that an acre of farm soil, six inches deep or 150 millimetres deep, um, and an acre would be um, be about 4,000 square metres, I think. It's roughly an acre anyway, about that. If you look at that, it has several tonnes of living bacteria and almost a tonne of fungi. And... Um, it's uh, it's amazing amount of life that is just located in the soil too under the air. But I guess, I guess I need to get back onto the the air. You know, another part of uh, the atmosphere, of course, is water, and there's an abundance of water on the Earth's surface, um, and that's what you know um, distinguishes our uh, planet from other planets. So the Earth's hydrosphere, uh, of course, consists mainly of the oceans, but also all the water surfaces on the world, including the land, sea, lakes, rivers, and underground water. And, of course, then there's the water in the clouds too. And um, it's interesting that if we uh, look at the oceans, um, the oceans um, cover, you know, about... um, a large percentage of the Earth, I think it's about 75% of the Earth is roughly covered by water. But if the water was spread evenly over the Earth and the, the surface of the Earth was smoothed out, it would the water would cover the surface of the Earth by about two and a half kilometres. Um, and it's the, one of the things that is concerning, of course, is that 97.5% of the water on the Earth is salty. So there's only about 2.5% of the available water is um, fresh water. And most of the fresh water, nearly uh, 75, uh, or no, sorry, nearly 69%, nearly 70% is ice. So um, there's some fascinating 
uh, aspects here. But another fascinating aspect is that the water is H2O, so it has a molecular weight of uh, 18. And, um, of course, nitrogen, a nitrogen um, atom um, has a molecular weight of 28. And so that's why our water floats. The water vapour floats. And it's amazing that the density of water vapour and everything just matches out. So we have this cloud system that will float um, in the air. And that's another thing that amazes me is the... um, the, the cloud system that provides, you know, some shade and sunlight brings rain and transports the, the water around. So the clouds, of course, transport the water. And, of course, the salt water is distilled by the sun, evaporates, goes up, condenses, becomes clouds. And then those clouds, using the fact that um, warm air rises to generate air currents, uh, held these air currents help carry that water and drop it back over the land where it's needed. So even this um, cycle is just amazing. It's so neat. It's, uh, it works so well. It's something, though, that we just take for granted. And, of course, a lot of us living in cities today, we turn the tap on and we get water, but we forget where that water comes from. Some of the water, of course, comes from underground. Some of it is pumped out of rivers and purified. Uh, some of it uh, comes from dams that have collected the rainwater in streams. But ultimately, all that water has somewhere or other come via this water cycle that involves... And if the atmosphere wasn't just at the right density that it is, the water cycle would be very different, probably wouldn't work, and hence wouldn't support life. So our atmosphere, of course, is primary a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere, and this enables the proliferation of little organisms that breathe oxygen. But another fascinating thing is that the oxygen level in the atmosphere, part of that becomes ionised in the upper atmosphere and forms the ozone layer. So if you think of a molecule of oxygen as two oxygen atoms together, well, it's possible for three oxygen atoms to uh, form a molecule, and that molecule is ozone. And that ozone is just at the right level to block lots of the ultraviolet solar radiation. So ultraviolet radiation from the sun can be quite damaging. There's different types of ultraviolet, so it's very, very short wavelength, ultraviolet A, B and C. Some of it, of course, is important for us, uh, for our health. So some of that radiation, when it strikes our skin, uh, produces vitamin D. It also has a sterilising effect and... um, helps to uh, sterilise things on the surface from uh, bacteria and and so forth, so um, the ultraviolet light. But it's regulated to just the right level. And we know that if the ozone layer was completely destroyed, and people have been very concerned about this in the past, and you may recall that in the past we were very concerned about refrigerants that were used, these... um, fluorine-based refrigerants, which, um, when escaping into the atmosphere, help break down the ozone layer. But, of course, uh, chlorine does the same, and we practice a lot of water chlorination around the world as as well. 
Um, and we know that in many places uh, around the world, like over southern Australia, the ozone layer has been significantly diminished and there's a lot more ultraviolet light uh, getting through in those areas. And some uh, people, so I've read scientific reports that if the ozone layer was completely destroyed, then it would possibly end life on, on Earth um, as we know it. So... And that's why scientists uh, were very concerned about this and have changed the types of refrigerants that are being used and trying to minimise the amount of uh, these chemicals getting into the ozone layer. Fortunately, there's a mechanism where the ozone layer reforms slowly, but relatively slowly. Um, so if we send out a, a lot of these man-made chemicals into the atmosphere, it destroys it. But the atmosphere of radiation on the oxygen up there slowly reforms the ozone layer. Also, the, um, the water vapour that is trapped in the atmosphere and some of these other gases too provide what we call the uh, greenhouse effect. And that, again, just helps regulate and preserve our temperature on Earth to be a reasonably uniform um, Earth. So... The greenhouse gases, of course, are water vapour, carbon dioxide, methane and ozone. And um, if it wasn't for these heat retention um, gases, the average surface temperature is being calculated to be about minus 18 degrees would be the average temperature. So life would be very much colder. Um, the average temperature on Earth, by the way, is uh, calculated to be about plus 15 degrees centigrade out of interest. So uh, it would be significantly colder. You know, there's just so many things that line up that, again, point to our planet being created and designed and this whole system designed and the properties of the uh, molecules and atoms that make up this atmosphere. Like, you know, I've talked about it before, the property of water that as it cools, it, it contracts and it contracts till it gets to four degrees and then it begins to expand and then, um, and then it freezes. So the solid water floats instead of sinking as opposed to you know, most other um, uh, elements and compounds. Um, the, um, as they cool, they get more and more dense. And, and this is the fact that water becomes less dense just at that time, just its structure changes just at that time. The bondings change. And I remember, um, you know, sort of, well, it, it would be 50 years ago um, when I was uh, doing postgraduate studies, um, there was um, another guy there doing... Um, his postgraduate work looking at the structure of water and trying to understand more about the bonding that took place in water. And it's you know only in recent years that scientists have really understood this. And I think one of the things that is very important people often overlook is, you know, when we have this theory of evolution, when, when we've got the Big Bang Theory and all this sort of thing, it's fascinating how, according to the, the theory, the, that atoms sort of formed and their structure formed. Um, so where did all these, all, what, what about the design? Why did they form in this particular structure where each one has an additional proton and, and lines up? Why not some 
you know, random arrangement different. Um, and there's so much design, and I think I've, I've spoken about this in earlier programs too, there's so much design within the nature of the forces, the structure of the nucleus, this sort of thing. And as James Clark Maxwell, one of the greatest physicists ever, uh, pointed out, you know, how did atoms evolve? And then when you think about it, these atoms have to have particular chemistry. And we take some you know, very simple atoms, basic atoms, hydrogen, oxygen. I mean, hydrogen's uh, atomic weight number one, oxygen number eight. Um, they've got to combine and have these structures so that in this liquid form, it behaves in this particular way so that then suddenly the bonding changes when it gets to four degrees before it freezes. And or again, we find that this freezing point of water just happens to line up and be relevant to the surface temperature of Earth, which is regulated, as I said, by you know the atmosphere and so many other factors, how far away we are from the sun and... Um, and so forth. There's so many things that just have to line up, and they've lined up perfectly. Now, you know, people say, "Well, you know, there's so many, um, you know, so many two hundred uh, billion galaxies, and there's so many million stars in the galaxies, and you know, sooner or later, you're likely to have a, a planet that lines up." But you know, you don't have to look very long at probability and statistics to say, "Whoa, hang on." the probability of this all lining up it actually exceeds the number of atoms in the universe, let alone the number of stars in the universe. And this is one of the things that convinces me that creation is real, that God is real. And when you combine that with um, the accounts that we read in the Bible, for example, you know, I was just reading this morning, in, uh, sorry, last night, in Acts chapter 12, the miracle of uh, Peter um, being locked up in prison. Now, Peter, here was this apostle who had lived with Christ, had seen the resurrection of Christ and became a powerful witness for him. And Herod, the king, was not very happy. He wanted to wipe uh, Christianity out and he had uh, Peter arrested and uh, put in... Um, in jail, and it's interesting the account when you when you think about it, that here's Peter, and the Bible said four squads of soldiers. So a squad of soldiers was four soldiers. So four lots of four soldiers were assigned to guarding. So that's each shift, each watch. So he had two soldiers chained to him, one on either side, literally chained to him, plus two guards on the doors. And the account says that an angel came, broke the chains, and Peter got up. And it's interesting that the account records that Peter thought he was dreaming. It was so surreal. Peter thought he was dreaming until the angel let him outside into the real world. And I guess seeing different things around, the angel disappeared. Peter saw where he was. He was no longer in prison, changed to two Roman soldiers. He was out. And, of course, he went to the place where the apostles were. You remember, I think it was Rondell came to the Rhoda came to the door, and she saw Peter. She was so excited, she ran back, didn't open the door, and and that is so true to life of someone doing that. Hey, you know, the news that Peter was there was more important than opening the door to let Peter in. And there's so many little things like this, and then the apostles didn't believe her, you know, and then they went and 
there he was. And, of course, it was real. And then the fact the soldiers were executed afterwards because uh, there was no explanation for how Peter could escape. And these are there. These are things that were witnessed by people. These were real events that occur. And that's why people gave their lives for um, this message. And to me, that makes a whole lot more sense. Creation by the God that sent the angel that freed Peter that and that resurrected Christ at that time. And of course, when we you know consider the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, um, I was just reading uh, this morning uh, Gary Habermas's uh, book, uh, The Historical G, or a chapter from it, The Historical Jesus. And uh, it's, it's very I- interesting, you know, so much uh, from the historical reports that went to the, the empress from different uh, historians uh, about Christianity, what Christianity was like. But in particular, in 1972, a, a, very, a very ancient Arabic translation of Josephus's work uh, was discovered. And, of course, uh, Josephus uh, talks about that Jesus was resurrected and there have been some critics that have said, well, hang on, this sounds like um, there's been a bit of editing here by Christians afterwards. Um, and uh, what uh, Habermas is saying and other people are saying too, some of the other scholars, that the discovery of this very ancient Arabic manuscript, which is slightly different, but still meant, uh, has uh, uh, the wording is just very slightly different, but it's very unchristianized, if uh, you could get that. So phrases that are likely to have been inserted by, may have been edited by Christians are, are not there. It's... Um, and, but it still talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was seen by the disciples three days after his crucifixion on the third day. And that was a report that uh, Josephus was uh, uh, was recorded. So um, this is, uh, you know, we have this evidence, uh, you know, plus the, the testimony, as Peter writes, you know, we weren't, we aren't following cunningly devised fables. Um and then, of course, you have Paul's conversion, who actually saw the met uh, was visited by Jesus, um, and had that um, experience with Jesus, and converted from being uh, a person persecuting and, uh, and wanting the murder of Christians to an advocate of uh, one of the strongest advocates of Christianity. And that's powerful evidence. Paul's conversion is very, very powerful evidence that Jesus is real because Paul met Jesus um, and um, Jesus spoke to uh, Paul. So when, when I look at that evidence there and the, you know, the number of eyewitnesses that uh, saw uh, Jesus afterwards and, and reported and, and the fact that Christianity spread so quickly and um, people gave their lives uh, were prepared to die rather than, um, um, you know, sort of give up Christianity um, is really powerful evidence that those miracles, so many of those miracles are real. And if those miracles are real, then the creation is real and the supernatural God is real. And, of course, I've experienced so many personal answers to prayer that for me it's not an issue. God is real and that's why I'm so passionate about this. That's why I'm you know, passionate about trying to tell 
people to believe in Jesus as God um, for salvation because, um, you know, the evidence is all adding up that Jesus will return. It won't be that long before Jesus does return. At his return, those that have chosen Jesus will be resurrected and translated. They'll be taken off the surface of the earth uh, to be with uh, God um, while God destroys the earth and leaves it um, desolate for a thousand years and then recreates um, the heavens and earth again as a new place uh, for us to live without sin. No more sin then, the end of sin. God puts an end to evil in the in the world. And to me that makes so much sense um, to what I see happening around. And it, it gives us hope. It's a, it's a fantastic message. And, of course, one of the reasons I'm involved in, in this little program, Faith and Science, is that I meet people that think that, you know, science has disproved the Bible. Well, you know, science hasn't disproved the Bible. Um, Science more and more is confirming the Bible everywhere um, we look. I guess I I should get back to uh, some of these things that, um, you know, the Earth's atmosphere contains a huge amount of water and it's an amazing system. A really amazing system. Um, one of the things that worries me is the disappearing of the rainforest. Um, they once covered about 14% of the Earth's surface. Now they cover a mere 6%, and um, they may not last that much longer. You know, there's um, so much that um, we could talk about in terms of the amazing facts of our ecological system, the ecosystem Earth, that, um, that, that just works and just, just fits. And as I think about just our simple system, air, and the fact that we have this oxygen to breathe that keeps us alive and how it is regulated, how the temperature is regulated, um, how we have water and... And then when I think of, you know, how much pollution we're generating and smog and, and so forth, um, it, it certainly makes me think, you know, how much longer will it, will it all go on for? And I think one of the things is, of course, that we can get so engrossed with all these problems today and trying to fix these problems that we can forget that there was a creator who created it and really the only solution is going to be uh, a complete refix, and that's what, what God promised. And I guess the other thing that is interesting too is that we have this seven-day week, and there's no natural cycle that we you know that is obvious, sun, moon, stars, or something. There's a seven-day cycle. The seven-day cycle comes from the Bible, and we know that it's to remind us that God created the earth in six and the you know the heavens and the earth in six literal days. And I think forgetting that cycle has been another part of the factor that people have forgotten about creation. That's why keeping Sabbath and remembering that God is not only our creator and redeemer, but each week remembering that keeps our, our focus 
where it should be, on our Saviour. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and remember to re-listen to these programs. Just um, Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au. That's 3ABN Australia.org.au, and click on the Listen button. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 